Good morning, everyone. As uh, Debbie has already said, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, it's not ideal, but it's good to be with you, and uh, hopefully you feel the same way. Hope you know that we are praying for you at the moment and um, holding you in our hearts in a really deep way. Um, we also continue to pray for the whole situation that we find ourselves in, particularly those in the front line. And this morning, after just being able to beautifully worship the Lord together and break bread, I just want to share some thoughts from God's Word to encourage your souls in these peculiar days that we're living in. Last week, we spent some time uh, diving into John chapter 6, the first part of it, which is the familiar uh, passage around Jesus feeding the 5,000. And um, I wanted to encourage us last week by reminding us that Jesus had compassion on the crowds for their basic needs, that he called us to co-partner with him, uh, with the disciples, and as he does with us in the miraculous provision for the people um, how he wants to convince us of another reality and how he reminds us that he is still in control, that he asked Peter where they were going to find bread, even though he knew what he was going to do. And this morning, I want to take us a little bit further in this passage. I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me personally through it and hopefully to us as a church. And we're going to jump in at John chapter 6, verse 14, and read a few verses. Let me read the word of the Lord to you this morning. If you want to even maybe shut your eyes or follow along with the Bible, and let's imagine the scene. This is just after Jesus had fed the 5,000. Verse 14 of chapter 6. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So let's try and get the flow of this passage. The people have seen a great miracle. They've been part of Jesus feeding them and the 5,000 that were represented. They know something wonderful has happened. That Jesus has performed a great miracle and he's given them bread, more than enough bread, and they want to now make him a king. This act has reminded many of them of how God had fed their ancestors, the children of Israel, many years ago in the wilderness, that supernatural bread called manna. And so they want to make him king. It says they want to make him king by force, but Jesus slipped away to a mountain all by himself. It appears that Jesus didn't want to be made a king by force or through the mass hysteria of popular opinion. This isn't 
the way Jesus is going to show his kingship or the true essence of his glory simply by just doing something impressive to give people what they want. And so what's important to start to realize about this passage is as genuine as Jesus' heart's desire was to feed the people um, in the feeding of the 5,000s, we start to realize that the crowds want a king who can simply give them what they want to address their bodily needs, who can whip up a miracle now and again and make them feel better. It's as if they're saying, this would be a good king for us. He would, he would address our needs. He would be good for us and give us the things that we want. And it was a good thing that Jesus addressed their basic needs. He loved them. He wanted to give to them and to help them. But he also wanted to bring something else to them. What we start to realize was that the faith of the crowds was a beginner's kind of faith, a, a childlike kind of faith. It's a little bit like my kids when I go away and they want a present. They ask me, Daddy, when are you coming back and will you bring me a present? And of course, because I'm a father who loves my kids, I want to bring them a present. Often I will bring them a present because that's what you expect from kids. But if they grow up and all they ever want from me is a present and they don't want something of me and I don't feel a sense of being missed when I'm away, then you'll start to realize that the childlikeness that they display naturally at that age hasn't matured into something more than that. And Jesus is saying, I think, the same to the people at this point. In the same way, he wants us to grow up. He wants to invite us, not just into a relationship where he gives us stuff, but into a deeper relationship with himself. This is why he came in the first place. This is the bigger reason and the deeper reason that he came. And so in order for this faith to mature into a deeper faith and into a greater love, they have to go on a journey. And practically, this journey would take them from one side of the lake to another side of the lake, to this place called Capernaum. And the disciples cross over the lake at night, and the crowds follow the next day, we're told. But this physical journey of going from one side of the lake to another side of the lake serves as a metaphor, if you like, for the journey of faith. And the journey that I believe Jesus is inviting us into in this critical moment that our globe is facing and we as a church face. It's the journey from going from the big picnic uh, where Jesus has met all their physical needs into a deeper communion of love and life and union with Jesus himself to taste of a bread that nourishes our souls in ways that will never leave us hungry again. And for this to happen, a kind of crossing has to happen, a movement from one place to another. Now, I haven't had time to read the rest of the passage, and I'd encourage you to do that if you haven't already the rest of chapter 6. For now, just let me paraphrase quickly what happens on the other side of the lake. When the crowds get there the next day and they find Jesus there, they start to talk to him and Jesus enters into a conversation with them, a dialogue with them, and he starts to challenge them about their true heart motives. It's like he's saying to them, are you just looking at me for the signs or would you like to be invited in to something more than that? The reason that Jesus wants to give them something more or invites them into something more is because he wants to give them himself. He wants not to just give them bread for their hungry bellies, but he wants to give them a sustenance for their souls, for their broken, desiccated, sinful souls. He will go on to say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be first thirsty. Verse 35. 
He wants to give them himself. He wants to give them his very life. And he can't give them himself fully until they give up their other allegiances. And it isn't because Jesus is some kind of insecure person who needs us to love him for him to feel better about himself. No, Jesus is perfected in love, but he wants to share and overflow with that love in our hearts. And he can't let us settle for a diluted form of that love because then it wouldn't be perfect love anymore. It would be a diminished form of perfected love. And Jesus can't give that. He can't offer that because his essence is good and he wants to overflow with that. And so this discourse then becomes Jesus laying it on the line for these guys, these crowds that are following them and his disciples. It's like, here's, here's my love. Here's the invitation into the fullness of who I am, but you can't taste of that love until you give up all your other loves, until you relinquish control and enter into this depth of relationship that I'm inviting you into. He wants them to know the love that he alone can give. He is the bread of life, not just for the body, but the kind of nourishment that all of our souls is actually deeply craving. And so on this side of the lake, he challenges the crowds. He challenges them the ones that he fed the day before who he still loves intensely. He's challenging them in an invitational kind of way into his life. He's getting at the very heart of discipleship, which is sharing in his actual life. He's calling them to a deeper level of sacrifice, to a greater level of cost. He wants them to move from what we would call childlike faith, beginner type faith, which is loving God for what he can do for you, to a more mature type of faith based on not what we're getting out of Jesus, but what we can give ourselves to in order to enter into loving union and partnership with him. A, a journey from believing that just because we've seen a visible sign or a visible miracle, that that's the end game. It's not. Those things are wonderful. And we'll talk about that in a moment, how to pursue and have a desire for those things. But ultimately, the end game is, G is intimacy with Jesus, trusting him for who he is and for his words alone. Jesus is drawing us, I can't stress this enough, into a mutual indwelling of his presence. And this is what John is trying to show us in this passage. Indeed, right from the beginning of the Gospel of John, he's opening up the invitation of Jesus to his people to come into the bosom of the Father with him. But to get to this place, there's a journey. So let's get back to the passage that we read. Crossing this lake is a symbol of life's passage of faith. The disciples had went over the night before and the crowds come after. But the disciples' journey was different from the crowds because they went at night. And as they travel across this lake, uh, the, the lake of Galilee, the, the winds whip up, <laughs> a storm comes. Uh, the lake of Galilee was prone to these unpredictable type of storms that can be treacherous. The winds rush down from the mountains and in a moment really, you can be in the middle of a storm and the storm seems violent, the winds are rough and the disciples are scared and into the midst of the storm, Jesus comes walking. It says when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I find it really interesting that in the midst of the storm, the disciples see Jesus and were frightened. 
It's not surprising in some ways, but it's interesting because they'd seen Jesus earlier that day. We remember that they'd been involved with Jesus and this miracle of feeding the 5,000. They were familiar with Jesus. Why was there a reason for them to be frightened? Well, maybe it's because now he's coming walking on the water. Now he's not the Jesus just sitting having the picnic with them, but he's the Jesus who's coming in power, in magnificence, as the Lord of creation. It's the Jesus who's coming, who's filling their hearts and their lives with awe and victory, so much so that it kind of frightens them and they're seized with fear. But then when Jesus reveals who he is, that natural fear turns into a holy fear. The enthusiasm and the adrenaline that they felt earlier that day from being involved in a kind of miracle and an adventure with Jesus has now moved into an awe and a humility and a, oh, Jesus, this is who you are. And then there is what I would call a massive understatement. This happens sometimes in the scriptures. When they realized it was him (laughs) that said, they invited him into the boat. That is like, that is a big understatement, isn't it? Like, of course they would invite him into the boat, John. They've just realized they're in a storm. They've worked out it's Jesus. And we're like, we need him in the boat. Jesus, get into the boat today. And so suppose my point in this as, as a church and in many of our lives as individuals have been on amazing journeys as, as, as individuals and as a church. We, we've seen Jesus do some amazing things in our lives. Some of us have been involved in things like miraculous things, like it feels like we've been involved in our own feeding of the 5,000 type of examples. We've been caught up in the enthusiasm of doing things for Jesus and being part of initiatives and teams and projects and just interactions with people that have thrilled us. We've been part of some miracles individually and collectively as a church even together in our short journey. And we've seen them do some amazing things And yet we know there's more. But at this time of our journey, globally, individually, corporately as a church, we're in a bit of a storm. We're on a journey somewhere, and yet we've been caught up in a storm, and many of us are frightened. And that's okay, because natural kind of fear is part of our humanity in this world. And yet into this storm, Jesus comes in the midst And he comes in power. And he comes in power to us this morning. He comes to us. He comes to us, not just as the Jesus who sits with us in the big picnic providing our basic needs, but as the Jesus who walks as the Lord of creation on the waves, burying his mighty arm. And he's coming to us. He's coming to his church all across the world, I believe, at the moment. In his deity, in his magnificence, in his sovereignty, and in his holiness. He's coming to us and he says, it is I do not be afraid. There's a couple of three summary statements I want to leave you with this morning. And the first one is this. All of them, by the way, are about an opportunity we have in this season. And the first one is this. There is an opportunity for a fresh revelation of Jesus in these moments. Jesus is coming to us. Right where you're sitting this morning, Jesus is coming to us. He's coming to our homes afresh if we'll open our hearts to him. He's coming to our families afresh and he wants to reveal himself afresh. And I believe one of the ways he wants to reveal himself is a holy fear, a holy awe of who he is, of his holiness, of his awesomeness. And as we get that revelation, the holy fear that seizes our heart will actually obliterate and overshadow every other natural fear we're feeling at the moment. It will obliterate it 
because it's a different kind of fear to the fear that we feel in the world, which is the other pandemic that's going on at the minute, by the way, fear. But Jesus' holy fear, the fear of the Lord that we might talk about sometimes, is an awesome holy thing. And out of his awesomeness, he says, do not be afraid. The fear of the Lord actually calms all the other fears. The fear of the Lord actually soothes our souls. It dispels our fears and calms a storm that speaks a better word to the deepest parts of our hearts and the recesses of our minds and the, and the depths of our souls. It brings a calm and soothing to our hearts. And when we get revelation of that, we, like the disciples, we're like, Jesus, get in our boat. We need you. We're desperate for you. Get in our boat. And, uh, and I just really feel at this point, I want to, I really believe that the Lord, even in these moments, wants to come to us, wants to reveal himself to you in the middle of what you're feeling. I want to encourage you, why don't you allow space for this this week? Maybe you should take communion together as families or in your homes. Why don't you leave some space for Jesus to reveal himself? Why don't you say the words of that old beautiful little song, open my eyes, Lord, I want to see Jesus. In fact, just for a moment before I make my last two points, I want to pray for that just in these moments. And maybe for those of you who are feeling fear at the moment, feeling you're in the midst of a storm, who've never accepted Jesus, this, this is an opportunity for you to say, open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. I want to know him. And so Holy Spirit, I just pray in these moments where people are sitting, that you would come. Come Holy Spirit in these moments. Come in the midst of the storm that's whipped up in the middle of our journey, God. And Lord, would you reveal yourself, Jesus? Would you seize our hearts with holy fear to know you and to hear your words of comfort and reassurance, God? It is I. Do not be afraid. And for those of us this morning who are watching and faith has been something that's been on the back burner or something that we've never entered into before. I pray that in these moments that you would give us the grace just to pray the simple prayer, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Help me to trust you. Come and get into my boat. Come and, come and be Lord of my life. Come and take control of my life. In Jesus' name. Two more quick points. The other thing that's interesting about Jesus is that when he says... When it says Jesus got into the boat, it says something supernatural happened. Verse 21 tells us that immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I'm not sure how that happened. I'm not sure what, what, how this all worked. <laughs> but as Jesus got into the boat, it says immediately they were at the shore where they were supposed to be going. Something beyond the normal laws of nature seems to happen. Something only God could do. And I really feel this morning for us that as we believe God through this storm, as we come through it together, God is going to through this, globally, by the way, I believe, and for us, if we get caught up in it and posture ourselves right, I believe God through this storm wants to do something supernatural. I believe that God wants to act in a way that we have not seen before, something that only he could do, a sovereign act of God, a sovereign moving of his spirit, a mighty enactment of his power, an edict from heaven being released in the nations that God is coming to bring us somewhere new, a sense of awakening and revelation of a new thing where 
his presence will fall upon us in new ways. But this supernatural reality, I believe, will only come through the revelation of his holiness in the storm. And so the summary statement, too, is there is an opportunity to be part of a supernatural, sovereign act of God if we respond properly to the storm that we find ourselves in. And finally, as Jesus brings us somewhere new, as we cross over, the passage of faith takes us from the excitement of that first glimpse of adventure with Jesus, being involved in the miracle, into a deep, mutual, loving friendship that's more hidden and personal and humble and intimate. We're being invited in these moments deeper and deeper into intimacy with Jesus, right into the bosom of the Father. To go there will not always be easy. On the other side, as I've already tried to explain, Jesus spelt out the cost of following him, what it would mean, and what partaking in that life would mean in terms of sacrifice and surrender. It will mean, the verses ahead will say, eating his body and drinking his blood. But in doing so, we'll not just see the miracles, but we'll have his very presence. We'll not just eat nice bread for our bellies, but we'll feast on the source of the bread itself. And so summary statement three, there's an opportunity to deeper intimacy with Jesus on the other side of the lake and on the other side of this storm that we're living through. We can be better followers of Jesus. Something I never really noticed about this passage before is that we're told the crowds went the next day. The disciples went in the kind of night journey across the lake. So I've never really thought about the reality that the crowds never went through the storm. It was the disciples that went through the storm. And so I think that tells us something because at the end of this chapter, after Jesus gives the challenge about um, discipleship and how the people then say it was a hard say. And verse 66 tells us that sadly many of the crowds deserted Jesus at the time. The challenge was too much. The cost was too great. They rejected the invitation of Jesus to deeper love and deeper commitment. That's the kind of commitment that any friendship of depth is going to need. And Jesus looks around at his disciples and you get the sense that there's a woundedness in Jesus' heart because so many of the crowds have left him. And he turns to his disciples and he says, what about you guys? Are you going to leave me as well? And Peter has that great reply, well-known words, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. We're all in with you, Jesus. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I wonder, as I thought about this this week, I wonder because they had lived through the storm, I wonder because they had faced uncertainty. I wonder because they had looked into the face of the known. I wonder because they had stirred into darkness. And in that darkness had a fresh revelation of Jesus. I wonder because holy fear gripped their hearts. I wonder is that the reason why they stuck when everybody else fled? I wonder is that the reason that they could be trusted as the leaders of the church in the days ahead? So when the supernatural move of God did come, a few months or years later, whenever it was in the time frame of things, when the Spirit poured himself out on humanity in Acts chapter 2, that these would be the men that were able and ready to steward that move. Maybe it was their experience of the storm that helped them make the transition from childlike faith to mature, sacrificial, surrendered faith in love with Jesus. 
They had learned that the prerequisite of their discipleship was not just getting involved in the odd miracle, but the prerequisite of their discipleship was deep surrender to Jesus to enter into loving union with him. As I think about my life, as I close, I think about the times when I have faced the unknown, when I have literally stirred darkness in the eye, when hell has felt like it is my current living reality. Into those moments, into those stormy moments when Jesus has come in an almost eerie but profound, awesome way into my life. Those have been the moments where holy fear has gripped my heart, where Jesus hasn't necessarily given me all the answers, but he has given me himself. It is I. Do not be afraid. Maybe after we've lived through the storm, guys, as individuals and as a church, maybe then we'll be more ready to steward the things that the Lord really wants to do amongst us. There's an opportunity to consecrate our hearts, to clean up the space in our lives so more of the love of Jesus can come into our hearts in these days. A trust that we can have in Jesus because we've come to know that his life is good, his essence is good, full of light and love and truth, and that our troubled souls can find healing and wholeness in him. And maybe we want to start living that kind of life now. Maybe we want to recalibrate our hearts and souls. Do the first things first. Keep loving Jesus well. Orientate our time well in these days. Order our schedules well. Keeping on giving in a season where everybody is hoarding and talking about lack, that we would continue to move in the opposite spirit and so into the things of the kingdom and into his church. And so my invitation to us is to go through the storm, to receive Jesus into our boat, to hear him say the words, it is I, do not be afraid, to ask for fresh revelation of who he is. And let's pray on the other side of this, we'll be more and better followers of Jesus, falling more and more in love with him and entering deeper into union with him and the Father. So Lord, we pray your blessing upon this word. Holy Spirit, draw us deeper into your heart. Help us to know the opportunity that's being presented to us in these peculiar and troubling days. And help us to hear your word to our souls for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.